Father, here we are, out in this sacred temple, your creation. And we're asking that you would send us the Holy Spirit, who's promised to exalt Jesus for us. Lord, we want for Jesus to become all in all in our hearts and minds. Would you touch our hearts through the power of your word? Would you lead us to a greater trust in you? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have you ever had somebody who believed in you? Maybe somebody who believed in you when you didn't quite believe in yourself. You didn't, didn't know if you had what it took, but this person believed that you had what it took. I'll tell you one example in my own experience. I was a fresh uh, sophomore going to, for the very first time, Fresno Avenue Academy. Now, I'll rewind a little bit. My first year, I did a home study course, and then... I didn't go to the academy that year. Well, during that year, I remember that the principal, who was also the basketball coach at Fresno Avenue Academy, kept coming to me, and he would see me at different events, and he'd say, so you're coming to our school next year, right? And he'd actually done that for years before that. You're going to come to Fresno Academy, right? And he wanted me there, of course, for the the good Avenue education, but he also wanted me there for a specific reason. You see, I'm kind of tall. And he said, you need to play on my basketball team. I said, well, Mr. Jones, you don't understand. I don't play basketball. I'll play football, maybe. And we left it at that each time that we would talk. And I remember sophomore year, I got there, and I said, okay, I'm going to try out for the football team. And so I went and began trying out for the football team to become wide receiver and a flag football team and made the team. And then school started, and I remember one day at lunch, walking into the gym. And there on this side was the varsity basketball team along with Mr. Jones, and they were playing an intense game of basketball back and forth, back and forth. And I looked down there and I said, okay, I'm not going over there. What's happening over here? And I looked over there and my friends who were like freshmen and sophomores, they're shooting around playing horse or something on this basketball hoop. And I thought, that's perfect. That is where I am going to spend my time. So I walk over there, and I begin to shoot around when suddenly I hear somebody yell from that side of the gym, Zach! I looked over. Mr. Jones. Zach, get over here! (laughs) Okay. So I began to walk over there. Yeah, Mr. Jones? I want you to play on my team, Mr. Jones. I don't play basketball. You're on my team. And I began to play. That game, I scored on the wrong basket, if I remember correctly. It didn't go very well, and those were the only points I had the entire game. But Mr. Jones looked at me, and he said, I can do something with that tall, lanky guy. I don't have a tall guy on my team. I need that guy on my team. That first basketball season, I passed the ball a lot, which is always a good thing playing basketball. But Mr. Jones knew something, that he could teach me to play basketball, and that in an Adventist school, I'm tall enough, I can just hold the ball, turn around, and get it in the basket, and nobody can touch the ball. And by my junior and senior year, it made a big difference in my life. I'll tell you that today, if, if you and I were to say, okay, let's play a sport together, basketball would be what I would feel most comfortable, most confident in being able to play. Because somebody believed in a guy who didn't believe that he had what it took to play basketball. So check this out with me. Go to Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, we, we find Jesus in the upper room. 
And in the upper room, he's about to change something that has been the practice of Israel for 4,000 years. Things are going to look a little different. And as he does this amazing event in the upper room and establishes what is the reason for why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together today. In Matthew chapter 26, notice how he does it. Verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Okay, so first he says, Hey, take the bread, this bread that you're used to with a Passover that you remember your deliverance with, and And picture this as my body which is broken for you. And then he takes and he says, here's the cup. And it's the cup of what? What does it say? It represents my blood. How How did it word it? Blood of the new covenant. This is this is a new covenant that I'm making with you. What is a covenant? Today, the only time we use that type of language tends to be at a marriage ceremony where two get up there and they hold hands and they promise, they make a covenant with each other about what they're going to do faithfully to each other for the rest of their lives. Covenant is a really important uh, word that you'll find throughout the Bible. It's used sometimes just between a king and a king or between this person and that person. They're going to share olive oil and uh, barrels of, of grape juice or different things like that. And they're making a covenant together. It's an agreement about how their relationship is going to work. And Jesus is saying to his 12 disciples, look, drink this. It's an agreement, a relationship. We're entering into a special relationship together. So today, I wonder if you feel how you feel about your relationship with Jesus. Do you feel like you're at a place where, yeah, of course Jesus would want me to be friends with him. We're just, I've been walking with him and I'm, I'm a, a really good person and I've, I've done a lot of good things and so I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus is going to want me to participate in this table today. We might sometimes look at the apostles and think, well, aren't they just saints and aren't they, weren't they this, these incredible people? Look at what Jesus does immediately after this. Okay, so Immediately after saying, here's the blood of the new covenant, verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Here, join in this covenant, this agreement together. It's my blood that's, that's it represents my self-sacrificing love for you. And by the way, tonight... You're going to be totally running from me, scattered in all directions. You see, Jesus offers them the cup of blessing, knowing full well that in hours they will be failing him. Sometimes we think we come to church when we get it together, but the fact is that we come to church for Jesus to get us together, for Jesus to put us back together, for him to work healing in our lives, transformation in our life. But notice the the hope that he places before them, the promise that he gives them. In, in Hebrews, it says that, that the, the new covenant is based upon better promises. The, the covenant is based upon promises. What do these promises look like? Well, notice the one that's given right here. Verse 32, but after I have been raised, what is this saying? After, after I have risen 
from the dead. After the resurrection, the, the reason that Paul says our faith is futile if we don't believe in the resurrection. Knowing that Jesus is raised is absolutely everything to our faith. He says, after I am raised, after I have risen from the grave, I will go before you to Galilee. He says, we're going to have a rendezvous. You're going to fail me tonight. And then after I have risen from the dead, then then we're going to go over here and you're going to come and meet with me again. And we'll be back in our relationship again. You see, he puts the promise ahead of the fall so that when they fall, they're ready to get back up and cling to the promise to cling to the promised one, Jesus. Jesus gives us promises so that we can know that he's ready to lift us back up. If it weren't for that, we would be hopeless and, and depressed. Um, it goes on right after that to say that, verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus, I'm worthy of this relationship. I can handle it. I'm sticking with you even to the death. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He he gives the reality. He says, I fully know you, Peter. And we're going to see at the very end an incredible promise that he immediately gives to Peter after telling him this heartbreaking news about the wretchedness of who Peter was actually was even though he thought he was a good guy jesus held up a mirror and said this is what you're actually like but there's good news because he gives a promise specifically to peter but let's jump over and look at this same exact interchange in the gospel of luke mark records it with the same exact words but luke changes it up a little bit go over if you have a bible to luke chapter 22 luke chapter 22 we pick up the story in the upper room again Luke chapter 22, and we'll skip over where he's talking about the bread because we're focusing in specifically on this cup of the new covenant. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this, sorry, this is verse 17, and divide it among yourselves. And then we're going to, sorry, we'll jump down to verse 20 where he's actually instituting the cup of the new covenant. Verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper. It's interesting that he took the cup twice, maybe sometime you could tell me why that was. But anyway, after the supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This is, this is that new promise, the new relationship that we're entering into together. But look at what he immediately says. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. I'm going to share this cup with my betrayer. <laughs> and he's going to have the choice of whether to meet me in Galilee afterwards or whether he's going to give up on my promises. That if you rise up, if you'll hang on to me, that I'll pick you back up again and I'll put you back together again. The hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Good news today. If you don't feel worthy of Jesus, you're in the right place. (laughs) Because Jesus gave the cup to the one that would betray him within hours. To the the ones who would scatter from him. You need the cup if you don't feel worthy. Because that's what changes us, is Jesus and Jesus' love. Then it goes on, uh, we'll pick up, you, you notice the problems that are going on. Verse 24 says, now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be the greatest. Again, it, it gives us this point that, hey, these people are entering into covenant with God, a special relationship with God that he gave to a special group of people. And they had a lot of problems. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And first he breaks down that, hey, 
the kingdom of heaven isn't like kingdoms here where people lord it over people, where they're controlling and all of that. That doesn't happen in the kingdom of heaven. But instead, they serve like I serve. But then notice that again, he gives them a promise. A big promise right before reminding Peter of his failure. Look at down at verse 28. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. You've been with me. Verse 29, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed upon me. You who are about to be scattered from me, I'm giving you a kingdom. I want you in to my kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Hold up. These are the people that are going to scatter from him. These are the people who are not going to have his back that night, who are going to fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, you, one day you're going to sit on thrones with me in my kingdom. You see how Jesus gives us promises before the fall in our lives. Before the falls, maybe I should say, in our lives. Letting us know that you're going to trip up, you're going to fall But here's what I have in store for you. Here's what I see in you. Here's the hope that I have for your life. This is what I can do with you if you'll just keep coming back to me. You see, uh, we recognize the verse that says we love because he first loved us. But did you know you can only believe because God first believed in what he could do with you? The potential that he sees in you? That's the only way that we can have faith is as we recognize that this amazing, incredible God of the universe sees potential in me to the extent that He laid down His life for me. If it was just for me, if it was just for you, He would have gone through the agony of hell on the cross for you and me. Because He sees potential in what He can do with you. And the more that you recognize that, the more that you grab a hold of that, the more that you'll be able to excel in your own life spiritually because you're going to be hanging more and more on to Jesus. You know, I've, I think I told you recently about how when Leah and I were on the point in our relationship where things were getting more serious, I realized that I needed to tell her some things about my life that were difficult to tell her. But her response was, well, you're a new creation, aren't you? And she just kept treating me like I wasn't the dirtbag that I really was. And you know, that changed me. Jesus changed me, but also having that relationship with somebody who would treat me like that. The people around you will be transformed as you treat them the way that Jesus treats you. As you recognize how he treats you. So Jesus gives them this promise. You're going to sit on these thrones in the kingdom. This is my new covenant promise to you. But then he goes straight into verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you have returned to me, (laughs) Peter, you're going to go away from me. But when you have returned, here's the promise. You're going to fall. Friends, I have bad news for you. We're going to celebrate communion, and I'm afraid that you're probably going to fall. Maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, maybe this week, maybe next month, maybe next year. But hang on. To Jesus. He says, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
Of course, Peter goes on to say, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. I would never do that. And he says, Peter, by the time the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times that you even know me. You know, if you think about covenants throughout the Bible, this is the same pattern that we see again and again. In fact, the very first time that God promises humanity land and descendants, which is what the covenant is always to God's people throughout history, the first time he does that is with Adam and Eve. And what happens in the very next chapter? They fall. They gave, given the whole planet, asked to be fruitful, multiply, fill the planet, and they fall. Then you get to Noah. And Noah is given this amazing promise. I'll never flood the earth again. Here's this beautiful rainbow to let you know that you can trust me. The very next verses in chapter 9, just verses later, it says Noah became a farmer. He grows a vineyard. And he becomes drunk. And he's laying naked. And then there's a shameful story that goes on to be described. You fast forward to Genesis where this next beautiful covenant is given to Abraham. This is where the new covenant is really based upon. We won't go into that in detail today, but God says, I myself am going to bless you. And in Genesis 15, he gives the sign of the covenant, which he, he breaks the, he, Abraham has to sever the animals in two, which it doesn't sound very uh, civil for today's standards, but back then what you would do is the two of you would say, okay, we're making this agreement about our relationship. We sever these animals and we're going to walk through the middle of these together because if we fail in this agreement may we be ripped apart just like these animals we want that to happen to us well what happens in genesis 15 abraham falls asleep and has these nightmares about what's going to happen to his people he's supposed to be walking through this to make a covenant with god and instead god shows up while after abraham's having these nightmares and god passes through the midst to say I will be faithful to the covenant. I will never stop loving you. And in the end, I will be ripped apart in order to save you. And we find Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing that separation that we chose in our behalf so that we could forever be connected in covenant relationship with God throughout eternity. You fast forward to David, the next big covenant in the Bible, and and God shows up to him and says, no, you can't build me a temple, but I'm going to put one of your descendants on the throne for all of eternity. David goes into the temple, he's in or into the the tent, and he he goes in and he's just in shock and sits before, before God, just, who am I that you would do this for me? Just a few chapters later, he doesn't go off to war, and he's looking, and there's Bathsheba, and he's calling Bathsheba. He's stealing his best soldier's wife and eventually killing one of his best soldiers. Murder. Rape. And and this is is the one that God is making this covenant with that I'm going to put one of your descendants on my throne forever and ever. And, And who fulfills that covenant? Ultimately, God uses even that relationship because it's through Bathsheba that Solomon is is the one who is one of the ones on the throne. But ultimately, it's with the son of David. Jesus, the perfect one. The only one who has ever been faithful completely. The only one who deserves to forever be connected with God chose to come to this tiny little planet and experience the separation that sin brings so that you and I can forever be connected with God throughout eternity. And now there sits one on the throne of David throughout eternity, His name is Jesus, and he is the one faithful one. 
the one hero of our story. Prophets and, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 371, helps us to get this distinguishment between what's the new covenant and what's the old covenant. Here it is just in a brief summary. Page 371, one, one covenant we skipped over was the one that's looked at as the old covenant with Moses. So Moses is, God speaks to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 19. And the children of Israel, what's their response when God says, here are the things to do? We're going to do it. We got this. <laughs> but within weeks, they're dancing around a golden calf at the bottom of the mountain. And Moses comes down and, has to, and smashes the, the covenant law. So, so picking up on that exact story, it says this, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 371, and picking on the fact that they said, we can obey, we can do this. The terms of the old covenant were obey and live. If a man do, he shall even live in them. But cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this law to do them. So if you obey, you're good to go. If not, it's not so good. The new covenant was established upon better promises, using that language from Hebrews uh, chapter 8. The promise of forgiveness of sins and of the grace of God to renew the heart and bring it into harmony with the principles of God's law. This is what the the new covenant is all about. And it goes on to to quote from Jeremiah chapter 31 where it says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to forgive your iniquity. I'm going to make this new covenant with you so that you're not going to have sin anymore in your life. This is the promise that I'm giving to you. And it's based upon better promises, not upon what you can do, but upon what I can do in your life. What I see the potential is in you if you'll only let me in. If you'll only let me have your whole heart. So Jesus, He gives promises again and again in the upper room to people who are going to fail. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Actually, we're going to read the, the preceding verses in uh, John chapter 13. But you know, it's important that we recognize that the world tells us, hey, if you just believe in yourself, you can do anything. And I appreciate people that have taught me uh, that you can have confidence, that you can go out there and do things. Um, my, my own parents have instilled some of that in me. And, you know, there's a big difference between parents who are like, you are worthless. You're nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. And that has an effect on a child. Versus a parent who says, you can do anything you set your mind to. You can, who has confidence in their child, it makes an entirely, uh, entire difference in a child's life. But I'm thankful that it's not based upon my belief in me. Because I remember one time I was in this network marketing organization and I was trying to sell a lot of products and we went off to this training seminar. And at this training seminar, it was called The Power of You. And at The Power of You, they had us make this dream board. And I made this they said, dream big about what your life is going to look like when you make all those millions of dollars in this company. And I'll tell you, I had, I, we had magazines there and we cut out pictures. I picked like the most extravagant, fast car you can imagine and put it on there like a Ferrari. And I had this mansion that I, I put in my, my uh, poster. And I had, I don't remember all the things that were on there, but I can tell you that there's only one that has come true on that entire poster. I had this, silhouette on a beach of a beautiful woman you couldn't see her face to know what she looked like exactly but she was beautiful i knew that that's the only one that came true out of that whole picture the mansion the car none of that 
Because it's not about what I believe about me, but it's about what God believes He can make you into and beginning to trust in Him and His capacity to transform you. So look at this. One more example. John chapter 13. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away. And verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am you can't, going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. I'll go the distance with you, Jesus. We're in covenant. Remember, we just had this sharing of a covenant agreement. I'm in. He forgot the fact that the covenant is not his blood in the cup that's symbolized, but it's Jesus' blood that he was drinking. It's representative of Jesus' love that will never fail, of a love that is, will do anything, as Romans chapter 8 says, for us if he was willing to lay down his life for us. Well, verse 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. How do you think Peter felt in that moment? What do you think the emotions were for him? Obviously, he had a little bit of resistance saying, no, that's not true. But imagine how heart-crushing that type of news is from from your master, the one who always knew what's going to happen, who had all this wisdom. You're going to fail me tonight, Peter. You're going to royally fail me. And it's, it's out of the emotion, the heartbreak, the feeling that must have been going through Peter in that moment saying, what, Jesus, I'm going to fail you? That this famous promise that we detach from that and don't realize the context goes on to say this verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled about the fact that you are going to deny me tonight. How? How do I not be troubled about, how do I not focus in on the fact that I fall and I fall and I fall? How do I not constantly fixate on that? How do I not let my heart be troubled over that? You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go for you, he's talking to Peter, the one that's going to deny him tonight. I go to prepare a place for you. Sometimes we read these promises like they're meant for somebody else. But if Peter was worthy of this promise because he was a child of God, then you are worthy of this promise too. He is going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, the change that needs to happen in order for us to be able to go to heaven is not for for enough houses to be built in heaven. It's not like Jesus is saying, by preparing a place, I'm going to work and make heaven the, the place that's able to handle you. Where does the change need to happen? It's right here. Jesus is saying, look, if you believe in me, you believe in my Father, I'm going to work in your heart to such an extent that you're safe to bring home with me because you trust me completely. And this is the promise I'm giving to you. And and maybe that's what Peter was clinging to when that night the rooster crows and he goes out and he's weeping bitterly. God, I can't believe it. I just denied Jesus And how does he not lose hope like Judas lost hope? How do you not lose hope when you fail again and you that addiction comes back to you? 
Cling to the promise of what He will make you. Keep getting back up and hanging on to Jesus. Letting Him pick you up. Letting Him put you back together again. Friends, I have a passion that we get this. Because we're in a cycle of falling back into a mess that hurts us. Just this week, I was talking with a friend who he and his wife are struggling. He said, I've been an addict for 11 years. Whether it's meth or alcohol or smoking, I'm always just falling back into this stuff and I'm, I feel like I'm doomed and my marriage is a wreck and it's just not going to be able to go forward. We're just... What does somebody need to break the cycle? What do I, you and I need on maybe a different area of a cycle of addiction? We need to know the promises of God. That He's gone to prepare a place for you. That you can drink freely of the cup today. That you can come to the table because He believes in what He can do in you. Before we go to that table, I just want to read this one uh, couple of sentences from Lift Him Up, page 221. This picture of, of the hope that Jesus has in you. It says, Christ would never have given his life for the human race if he had not faith in the souls for whom he died. Did you know Jesus has faith in you? And that's the only way you can have faith in him is to recognize his initiating faith in what he can do in you. He knew that a large number would respond to the love he had expressed for humanity. It is not for every, not every heart that responds but every heart may and can, if it will, respond to that love that is without parallel. We can respond today. We practice open communion as a Seventh-day Adventist church. You're welcome to come to the table. We believe that everybody is welcome to drink. It's not based upon your worthiness, but upon Jesus. And if you want that, wholeheartedly want Jesus, then come to the table. And drink. Drink of the life that is given for you in Christ. Friends, it's absolutely everything. To know that somebody believes in you. Because that enables us to trust. <coughs> excuse me, To open our hearts more fully to this infinite God of love. Let's just take a moment in silent prayer to ask that God would help that to sink in a little more deeply for us today. God, thank you for your incredible promises. Thank you that you see potential in us because so often I get fixated on me and I don't see the potential. I don't see the hope that's there. But God, thank you that you counted me worthy. You counted everyone here worth the cost of being born and of going to the cross, of going through the experience of hell for each and every one of us, so that we could have life. Thank you that you see what you can make us into. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on that, not on our continued failings, but when we fail, to simply ask for forgiveness and to allow you to pick us back up and put us back together again and to keep on clinging to Jesus. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the better promises it's not what we can do, but what you can do. And God, I believe you're big enough to change me and to change everyone here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.